Amen. If you've got some things you want to take some notes with, I'd encourage you to grab those things. So we're going to be running through a couple of different kind of issues and, and things. And this isn't like Rodney Preacher tonight. This is like Rodney Pastor tonight, right? And so there's a little bit of a different feel for all that. And so, um, you know, when you think about all the different things that a family does, we kind of talked about this a couple of Sunday mornings ago, just on the side of home groups, that we expect in our home groups, we expect all things of all of your life to be talked about. All things of all of your life. And so with that, we want to model that same thing for us as a church family, where we air all, as much as we can, get to you just information-wise. We want to keep all of these things in front of you to keep you educated in the know, where you, you have all these issues that you can work through um, with us as we're working through those. Okay, so with that, let me start out with just a couple of, of housekeeping sort of things. Um, first, I, I want to take one step back and maybe just under the category of celebrating um, when I think about every time I come on a Sunday morning, maybe I'll say it this way. Every time I come on a Sunday morning and I get up to preach, like what I look out on is God's grace. And I, I just want y'all to know that it amazes me every time I get up. Um, like I, I remember back uh, in our first couple of weeks, we started on August 23rd. So our third week was Labor Day weekend, September 5th. It was our third week, and we were kicked out of the conference center on that particular week. So we were in LaRue Miller on a holiday weekend, and it was like my family and a couple of more, right? I mean, you look around thinking, golly, are we going to make this or not, you know? And so when I, when I think, every time I get up, I can't help but think this on Sunday mornings, of man, I am seeing the grace of God displayed um, every time I get to look out upon these, these people that God has brought um, and, and kind of put in covenant with one another. And so I just want you to know that's how I feel about you. And so I, I want you to see this tangibly just so you'll know as far as, and, and by the way, we don't, none of our merits are based on, or none of our metrics, how we think about are we doing well or not, are based off of numbers. So I want you to know that, but I want you to see, because this is one of how God is, one of the ways God has blessed us. So I want you to see this just on a chart, so you can kind of see what this has looked like for us. This is 18 months in now, or actually this is 17 months, and this is to the end of January, where we started with right at 100 people, and you can kind of see the, the trend tracking up there, that, that um, it's 125, 250, 375, and the top line is 500. Um, in the month of January, we were right in that, right in that 440-ish, 445 range is what we averaged. And so I, this is why I say, I, I just get up and I look at this and say, gosh, God is good to us. He has brought us just a great crew of people to move the mission of God forward through this local body. And so that's something to celebrate. And I, this is one of my chronic problems. I'm not a good celebrator. I hope you're a better celebrator than I am. And by the way, this is like a sinful tendency in my heart. Like there should be times that we gaze toward God and say, God, thank you for what you have done, right? Um, so, so I want to be faithful to do that as a church family, that, that we take these moments to do that. And, and much more important to us than numeric growth in our place, I could parade up here uh, just a group of families, and I, I wish we would have had time for this this morning or tonight, for them to grab a microphone and say, this is what God has done for me over the last blank months that I've been a part of Stonegate. And I think you would be amazed at the stories that you would have of men that God has totally grabbed their heart, for our ladies that God has totally just stoked and stirred great desires for him in the midst of that. 
And so, okay, that's, that's the celebrate piece. Now, let me take the next part and say encourage. This will be under that kind of just general category, housekeeping of encourage. Um, I want to point out two people specifically and then um, kind of a group of people. But I want y'all just to be aware of one, Dan Hutchins. I don't know if Dan's in here or not. Is Dan in here? Dan. Dan okay, we, right now we paid two people, or three people. Dan and I are full-time for, for Stonegate, and Kevin is part-time for Stonegate. And so um, Dan, he has, we're giving him too much for one person to do right now. And so with that, I mean, Dan has done a phenomenal job for us in serving you so the mission of God can go forward at Stonegate. And so I just want you to be aware of that, that, that you've got a guy that really is trying to serve you well in the midst of that and has a ton of play tea spinning trying to keep all those things up. And then I, I want to highlight Kevin over here too that leads us each week in worship. Um, and just the whole tech team, band, all of those guys, they work so hard for you. Um, every, they're here, every, like at the little storage place to get their music gear, every Sunday morning at like 6.30. It's that week in, week out. They're all there. They all take it back each week. They work so hard to provide for you and serve you on Sunday morning um, in just our worship. Don't they do a great job for us? Yeah. Okay, then, then last note, I, I want to I make sure that you're aware of just our volunteers here too, that in all of our different areas, we have got incredible people that have volunteered their time, energy, and effort to coordinate ministries for us, and then other people to serve in those ministries. And so when you think about our preschool, our children's, um, cultivate upstairs, set up, tear down our greeting, our children's check-in, we have a group of people that pray on Sunday mornings, our tech team back here, a resource table, coffee, all of that is people who get up early and stay late to serve y'all. And so I, I just want to take a, a step back and just say, if you're a part of leading those ministries, or if you're a part of serving in those, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I mean, y'all, I mean, that, that, that's the reason that we can do what we're doing here. Like, this is a huge means of that mission moving forward is the way you guys have served. So thank y'all. I just want y'all to know from us to, to y'all, thank y'all. Yeah, for sure. Okay, with that, um, here, here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I've got, um, we've got one hour, and we're going to have to be really quick here on, on this first one. But this is, this is the major initiative, but the reason we can be quick with it is we spend a lot of time with it on Sunday morning. So I, I'm going to produce, or kind of introduce three major initiatives that we have for the first half of 2011. Some of them stretch kind of beyond that, but, but major initiatives that I want you to be aware of so you know as we start talking about these things, introducing these things, that you know kind of what's happening here. Okay, first one is kind of under this general initiative, and I'm just going to label it this way up on the screen for you, of gospel community and mission. And so now when we, we spent a whole like two months, November and December, working through how the gospel leads us to being good missionaries, that this is one of our gospel identities. It's a missionary, that you are a missionary, I'm a missionary. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. And so this is, and we, and we talked about this, by the way, too, how our year one preaching was, was really trying to emphasize and to raise awareness of how the gospel intersects with all of our life. That doesn't stop after year one, but it was a definite year one emphasis for us. And how year two, what we're trying to help you and us and all of us see is that the gospel also leads us to being good missionaries. And this is totally void in the church culture in America. And so we are saying that this is a major initiative for us that we want you and I 
and for the gospel to form us into that. Okay, now with that, let me just give you an illustration, and then I'm going to give you two practical encouragements, and we'll keep moving. This is probably the best illustration I can just give you so you'll know what we're saying when we say mission and missionary. If if you were to come to us and say, you know what, I feel like God is calling us, my family, to, to be a missionary to London. I feel like God's calling us to go to London. We're going to go be good missionaries there. And we came beside you and said, okay, we confirm that. Let's send you to London tomorrow. And you pack up your family and you go to London. Now think about the questions you would be asking as a good missionary heading to London to be a, mis- like, to be a missionary, right? So you would be asking questions like this. London is a big city. I'm probably going to have to find a particular group of people there in a specific place that I'm going to try to be a good missionary toward. So you're going to develop a context for that. Then you're going to have to answer this question. Where am I going to live in the city to, to be good missionaries to those people? So you get that rolling. Then you're going to have to answer this question. What sort of a house or apartment would I live in to be good missionaries in that neighborhood to that group of people? You see how being a good missionary affects where we live and how we live and what sort of a house we live in? Like all those decisions are are kind of run through this grid of being an effective and good missionary. And then we start asking these questions. how, how How would it change how I would view a walk in the neighborhood? right? Like how would it change? Like when I see my neighbor outside, if I'm, if I go to London to specifically be a missionary, how would that change the way I view my neighbor taking his trash out and me knowing he's outside right then? I would be doing everything I could to put myself in his space so we could get to know each other, right? If we're taking walks around the neighborhood, I'm praying that God would give us relationships with these people. If I'm on a commute and I'm in a train, and I'm commuting down to downtown London, I would be praying that God would bump me into people. As I'm working, I would be praying for God to develop relationships with people. Okay, now think about that, how you would be thinking there, and the gap between that and how you're thinking right now. This is the 2011 initiative. This is what we're trying to close for our people, for you and for us. And we know that for almost everyone in the room, this gap is wide for us. It's a big gap. And it's okay that it's a big gap right now. But what we're trying to say is in 2011, we want that gap to shrink for all of us. It's not okay for us to stay like that. That we want to be primarily a go and tell people, demonstrating the gospel with our lives, declaring it with our lips, not primarily a come and see people. Remember all that? So this is what we're trying to say here. So let let me push pause and say any questions on that piece of it? Any questions? Gospel community mission, how the gospel leads us to mission. Going once, so you can just file them in your back pocket there. We're gonna, I'm going to ask for questions a couple of times. If you've got some, you feel free. Okay, now let me give you two practical encouragements with this. Number one, now I think this is just two steps that all of us need to take. And men in the room, if, you, if you're a husband in the room, you've got a family, this is on your shoulders to lead this for your family, to make sure this is happening for your family, right? So, so number one, step number one would be making sure that your family is consistently praying for people who don't know Jesus. So, and it's not like the aunt that you see every other year, right? This is like, that's good to pray for her. We don't want to like, we're not saying don't pray for her, right? But we're saying that, that we're talking in the normal course of your life, neighbors, coworkers, for, like maybe think of it this way. Are your kids consistently praying for people who don't know Jesus? Like are, are, around the dinner table, are you praying for friends that they go to school with? Maybe people on their sports team. So, okay, now, Dad, this ultimately falls on your leadership of your family to make sure that your family has the mission of God all over it, right? That you're praying consistently for people who don't know Jesus. And here's the second piece of it, is that you're inviting people into your life that don't know Jesus. Those two things. 
that we're praying for people who don't know Jesus, inviting people into our lives that don't know Jesus. Two massive, massive things for us, right? Those would be great steps for us to take this year. Okay, so this is how, this is how God saves people at Stonegate. I want you to see this clear picture. This is how God redeems people through this body. We start to pray for people. We invite them into our life. We demonstrate the gospel before them. We speak it to them. And then we see God do what only God can do, rescue and redeem, right? We don't want the reflex of your heart to be this. If you're asked the question, are people being saved at Stonegate? We don't want the reflex of your response to be, um, what's happening on a Sunday morning? We want your reflexive response to be, am I praying for people, inviting people into my life, demonstrating and declaring the gospel, and watching God do that through me? And if God is not doing that through you, he's not doing that through us. That make sense? Okay, so now, and that, that plays itself out in home groups as well. Our home, all of our home groups right now are trying to develop a context for mission where they're asking this question. As a group of people, how can we be good missionaries to, these, to this, this particular people, these, these people in place, right? So this hits the context of our home groups as well as it plays itself out. Okay, so this is initiative number one. We, we've beat this around quite a bit. If you missed the podcast or the sermons through November and December, I would encourage you to go back, grab any of those that you missed to make sure you are up to date and up to speed with this. This is huge for us, okay? This is, this is massive. Okay, next thing. This is a big one that's, that's on the way, okay? So this is coming to you within the next month, okay? The, the second initiative that we've got going is something called the city, So I've got five questions here. I'm going to take the first one. First question goes like this. I think, yeah. What is the city? Okay, so let me me kind of back up here and and give you a what is. We'll watch a video and then we'll we'll try to explain this. Okay, every church has some sort of a system for how they uh, like do all their accounting stuff, like how they manage their receipts and expenses, for how they um, track and, and kind of have a database for their members and how they communicate to their people. Every church has to have something to do those things with. Most churches do use two or three different things to cover that spectrum right there. Okay, so they're going to use a variety of things to try to do all of that. Okay, the city is a web-based software that's built for churches to do all of those things. So your accounting, your membership tracking, all of that, your communication, and it adds this feature on, like a social networking capability that for our home groups and for our church, I think is just going to be off the chart good for us. Okay, so with that said, let me let you watch this video that will kind of explain some of this, and then we'll try to answer a couple more questions about it. Your church has a mission, and the city helps you accomplish it by giving you a single, unified platform that enables everyone in your church to participate in the day-to-day life and ministry of your church. The city was built specifically for the church, so it's full of features that help each person in your church fulfill their unique role. Meet Pastor Will. He's preparing his sermon for Sunday and wants people to start engaging with the scripture he'll be teaching from. When he writes his message, it's posted in the city and sent by email, so everyone in the church will see it. But communication in the city doesn't just go in one direction. It's interactive. So when people respond, Pastor Will can reply right then and there, even directly from email, to answer questions, guide the discussion, or provide more resources. Of course, while Pastor Will writes his sermon, other plans are being made for Sunday, too. On his lunch break, Chris uses the city to connect with other volunteers and schedule setup for Sunday morning. 
At the same time, Emma makes sure the musicians have the set list and sheet music to rehearse the songs they'll be leading on Sunday. And then there's Miranda, who's getting everything prepped for children's ministry by following a few simple steps to get the event on the calendar, schedule volunteers, and book the appropriate rooms. When the church gathers on Sunday, the city makes it easy for parents to check in their children, with minimal staff oversight required. Returning parents simply scan the barcode card they've associated with their city account and select which children they're checking in. First-time check-in for new families like the Smiths is easy, too. They just provide their contact info and basic information for their daughter. Then they scan the barcode from one of the cards in Lila's wallet to streamline next week's check-in. An alert for Zoe's peanut allergy is printed on her name tag, reassuring them that Zoe will be safe and secure until they come back to pick her up. After the service, Miranda will use the city to quickly send a follow-up message to every family that attended to reinforce what their children learned, provide additional resources, and thank them for coming. The Smiths and other parents who checked in for the first time will automatically be invited into a group where they can interact with children's ministry leaders and other parents. Remember Chris, who leads the setup team? After the service, he met Conrad, who's new in town and wants to join a community group. Chris takes him to a city kiosk where he walks him through sign-up and explains that he'll be added to a connect group in the city, where a volunteer from the church will help him find a community group. Soon Allison gets a notification that Conrad's looking for a community group. Since she can see exactly what he's looking for in a group, she filters the results on the city group map to find just the right group. And when she finds a good fit, she connects Conrad with the leader. Which brings us to Israel. He's excited to be introduced to Conrad and invites him to join his community group in the city. Conrad can see right away that this is where the members of Israel's group interact in life and ministry all throughout the week. He sees an event Israel created to invite the whole group to a neighborhood cookout he's planning for Friday evening. This looks like fun. So Conrad RSVPs and says he'll bring a side dish. He'd also like to invite some of his friends who he's been sharing the gospel with. Since Israel shared the event to the city plaza, Conrad can post it to his Facebook account and share the invitation with his friends. He also sees an urgent prayer request Emma posted in the city. He's amazed how quickly everyone responded in prayer and how easy it was for Emma to keep everyone updated. He's also impressed that other people were able to organize ministry in response to the specific needs of the family in crisis. As he explores the group, Conrad can see that this community is serious about following Jesus. And even though he hasn't met them all yet, he's already feeling like he belongs. With another week of ministry in full swing, Pastor Will takes some time to evaluate how everything's going. The city makes that easy by giving him timely insights into the vitality of his church. At a glance, he can measure the effectiveness of his communication and see how many people are connected and engaged in the community of his church. The city also allows his people to update their own personal information in the city, giving him a complete profile of his congregation and a reliable database without having to commit staff hours to keeping the data current. Since the city makes it easy to delegate administrative permissions and security levels, Pastor Will can get a quick glimpse into the generosity of his church without having to learn all the intricacies of financial administration. Of course, reviewing the week's giving reminds him that he may have forgotten to write a tithe check on Sunday. Thankfully, the city has that covered too. 
A quick look at his giving page shows a full history of what he and his wife have given. And instead of having to write a check, he can give online. To make things even simpler in the future, he'll schedule a reoccurring donation so he'll never risk forgetting again. With all the city is helping his church accomplish, he thinks he might sleep a little better tonight, right after he finishes writing next Sunday's sermon. The mission of your church isn't limited to any particular day or ministry or person. The city helps you enable the whole life ministry of your whole church so you can accomplish your mission. Okay, so that, that's an overview of the city. You kind of saw some of those functionalities. It gives everything, every system that we have to have going in a church, it brings it all under one system for us and, and puts it all into kind of one streamlined thing. Okay, with that said, Brian McCutcheon has been the one kind of implementing this and kind of uh, getting this, bringing this up online with us. So he's going to answer kind of these middle questions for us that will give you maybe some of the details about it. Yeah, so. let's just spend a couple of minutes diving a little bit further. What do you all think? Hey, hey. Second question, please, sir. <laughs> Why are we implementing the city? Yeah, cool video, cool feature. Yeah. No, no be- besides that, like Rodney said, churches traditionally have had a lot of disparate systems, a lot of different systems, antiquated spreadsheet on Dan or Rodney's laptops, you know, all, all sorts of different things that you use to track. So this is certainly a way from operational perspective to be able to, to better do that. But I emphasize taking it up a, a notch from a high level all that Rodney talked about in terms of mission and community really is, is enabled by something like this. I mean, it's the technology that we have, but it doesn't certainly replace the relationships, right? So sure, there are great features like children's check-in from a security perspective and, and tracking perspective. It's always good to know where your kids are, always good for us to know where you are, that kind of thing. Um, but then communication. When you get home as a parent, there'll be a, a, a message in your inbox from the teacher in the preschool saying, here's what we did today. So it facilitates that, that type of thing. Which leads to the next question of how is the city, all right, how, how is the city different than Facebook? I mean, I see these social networking type things. That's the last thing that you need is another social networking site. Some of you aren't even on Facebook. But Really, it integrates with it, in meaning that, again, uh, it's for churches. It's for community within churches, first and foremost. Whereas Facebook clearly has, is primarily about building virtual relationships, the city is primarily about enabling relationships within the church. Now, you can do your status updates and your Twitters, and I'm not Twittering yet, but... Um, <laughs> All that kind of stuff. Um, so that's, uh, that's a key difference. So, you know, know that Facebook integration, yes, but certainly not replacing what you do today in Facebook. So there's no Farmville. There's no, maybe some heaven will come out. What is the timeline for launch of the city? Now, a few of you, a few of you have been beta testers. So a couple of home groups have had the few keys and gotten around a bit. And, and the whole premise, and everyone will get to know kind of the structure of the city, is being in groups. So a home group has a group on the city. Men's ministry, we have a group on the city. Worship band, we can do our set list, you know, on the city. 
but really, in, in terms of some of the features that people have already started to see are the things like they talked about, pulling together events, getting to know what the prayer requests are for people, etc. But at the same time, we want to be very prudent. Can I use prudent? Not to be too formal about rolling this out. All too often, systems are just thrown out there and, hey, stick against the wall, go use it. No, we're not going to do that. What we want to do is to be able to communicate with you over the next month, continually just this mind share of the city, the benefits, what is in use, continue with the beta users we have today. And then on March 27th, March 27th, we are going to have the launch. Do we get a launch party? <laughs> So this will be the launch of the city, and a a broad email will go out. Rodney will send that out, asking you to join the city, and that's when you will go and log in. We will also have a kiosk outside, touchscreen kiosk. Uh, This is also when we'll have children's check-in, all that kind of good stuff going on. And you'll be able to connect, join groups, start to really see the benefits of the city. So we have a lot of work between now and then. Your home group leaders are going to be trained up. Your ministry leaders are going to be trained up. The check-in coordinators trained up, et cetera. But we really think that this is something that um, will be of great benefit to Stonegate. You've already seen it, even just a little bit that you've used it for your home group, right? Yeah, it's great. The more, like the more, I, I, I kind of had that, uh, really? Uh, but the more I've gotten to know it, it, it is great. Like it really does facilitate all the different things that you're trying to do in a home group, us as a church, I no longer have to send like an email from my email account anymore. It's all through the city from now on. And so, yeah, it's, I think it's really going to serve the mission and community well for us. So, yeah. Yeah. Take us to the next level. Okay. So uh, with that said, let, let me answer the last question and then I'm going to keep Brian up here. And mm-hmm. if you've got a question about it, we'll let you throw one out. Um, so the, kind of that last question is how will this work best for Stonegate? Here's how it works best for Stonegate is when you are actually on it and working in it, Right. And so when, when we cover, like in Discover Stonegate under community, we cover things like home groups under community, um, church discipline, church leadership, those sort of topics under community. Um, now we will also add in a section in our covenant membership class of uh, the city. And so we want to put it right in kind of that line of what would be a normal expectation of a, a Stonegate family member is that you're on the city, that you're, you're in with us on that. Because at the end of the day, that's how all of our communication's going. So, like, when, when we send an email out to inform our people of something, it's through the city. When we send out, like, a ministry leader is going to communicate to parents of preschool, that's through the city. When a home group leader is going to communicate to their home group and organize a home group and what they're going to bring, that, that's all through the city. All of that stuff is flowing through that one streamlined way of communication. All of your, like, online giving, if you want to set that sort of a thing up, all of that flows through that. So it's imperative when we roll this out that you roll with us. That's what we're trying to say there, right? That you're in with that, you're in with us on that. And for some of you, if, if you're not a Facebook user, you're going to be like, oh man, this is like learning something all like riding a bike for the first time. Here we go, right? So we're going to encourage you to buy the bike and ride with us, right? Go. So that, that's coming March 27th. Um, so yeah, get those training wheels on. We're, we're, all, we're all doing that together. Because if not, you'll be like, My, nobody's sending me emails. <laughs> Where'd everybody on? go? And yeah, they all left. Um, okay, with that said, any questions about the city? Yes, Mary. Um, 
Do you want to answer that? Or you want yeah. To, yeah. It, it does to the extent in the first phase of our implementation for online giving. So we have a giving portion there on the website, be able to click, and so anyone can go in, into our part of the city as kind of an offline user, they call it, uh, to, to give, right? Yeah, it's not like directly, but yeah. It doesn't replace our external website. Yeah. Yes, Mr. Phil. Great question. That's a great question. In fact, the city came about as a system from Mars Hill up in Seattle. And they determined the need and built this system and some churches started saying, hey, we'd like that. And so they sold it to Zondervan and they just pumped a whole lot of money into it. And so all of the security protocols, you know, secure sockets, 128-bit encryption, you know, you have the ability to turn on encryption in particular groups if you want that, uh, that you feel are sensitive in nature, maybe some of the redemption groups, for instance. So there are definitely some areas that are very tuned into those security. Um, and for costs. kids, too, th there's a whole security kind of protocol that re revolves around kids. They have to be X amount of age. They have to have parental um, consent to get on at that point. And for your kids, you can manage as a parent every, all of their communication. So you're seeing all of that happen with your kids. So yeah. So I think that would be maybe a concern that some parents could have. And they can only communicate with those that they become friends with. And you get to see who they're friends with. So all of that is kind of built into it to kind of safeguard that. Okay. Any other questions with that? Yes, sir. Great question. Uh, did you hear that? Can anybody join from anywhere? Just for the church. They have to be invited in or actually sign up at a kiosk here, right? Now, you can invite your friends in, and they'll become um, kind of an online user, uh, and then it's um, really up to them what, what groups they, they join. There are some groups, like the, we have a theology forum, um, there's no approval set for theology. Yeah. Everybody can get on that. Um, other groups say, nah, we need to moderate this. We want to control who's going into this particular group. So it's very controlled in that regard. So, Mike, there's some groups that we would say, whoever, if anybody in the world wants to be in them, come on. There's other groups that have to be approved by us. So when you sign up, it would pop up to your group leader. Like, let's say your home group, that John would it'd pop up to John and say, approve Mike Klaus. And he would approve it, and now you're a part of his group. So those groups are controlled, and that's a little more sensitive information there. And so where, where information is sensitive, those groups are controlled, and who c gets to come in, all that. Yeah. Guest cards being tracked in the city? Uh, guest card. Well, they would have to be on, like they would have to come into it. But yeah, all that stuff, for, for our metric systems and all that, it's perfect. It's great for us. Yeah, and you'll yeah. see... We'll be working with you around process, you yep. know, how that gets fed in from the old system to this one, that kind of thing, and, and to make sure that people are followed up with after they visit. Not for all the church, yeah. the home group leaders and the ministry leaders will have uh, their training on March 5th. And the attempt is to then go back and, and start to show a lot of this to you guys who are in home groups uh, and other ministries. Um, and then we'll have some 
what I think is really good material uh, available that really steps you through exactly what you need to do. Uh, quite frankly, it, it really is uh, a straightforward process. You know, some of the some of the terminology and you know how you access this particular piece. It just takes a while to get used to, and they're continually improving that. But overall, it's not that complicated. Is there an iPhone app? Yes, there is an iPhone app. <laughs> but you're going to ask, I work for Microsoft, is there a Windows phone app? <laughs> it, it wouldn't work if there was, though, so it doesn't, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll walk you through, it, there's a little help topic on that that will walk you through exactly how to get all that, yeah. It's actually not an app, it's a mobile site that, that appears on your iPhone that it feels like an app, but it, yeah. So it's, it's a mobile site. Yeah. 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 And I will just say, some of you, you know, one of the things that whenever I first signed up, when Mars Hill did it, when Gene and I lived up there, like, oh, another site, so forth. It integrates with your inbox, your actual regular email. So when you get a message from somebody on the city, it actually sends to your regular inbox, and you can reply to that message, and it will go back into the city, right? So you don't have to, like, actually log in to the city. Oh, do I have any messages? Okay, log out, that kind of thing. So they're really making it very interactive and, uh, like I said, moving forward with all sorts of features. Okay, any more? And then we got to move on. We good? So that's coming out at the end of this month. Um, that, that's a big, for, for us on community, gospel community and mission, we feel like this will be a great tool for our church. So we're just encouraging you to get ready to jump in on that and to do whatever it takes to learn that with us along the way. Okay. Okay, last thing, um, big initiative, we're going to give the rest of our time to this and try to do some Q&A at the end of this, is in 2011, I'll, I'll just kind of throw it out under this kind of a heading. In 2011, one of our initiatives is to locate and purchase land. Okay, so this is one of the things that is on the horizon for us. Okay, so with that said, I, I've got like a list of six things I want to try to cover underneath this. Um, some are a little more extensive than others. And so let me start out by, by talking about this broad category of Stonegate and money. So I just I want to talk this broad picture for you. We, we are a family. And if your family does not talk about your finances, there's going to be problems with the finances in your family. And so we, we consider this, we can't skirt around these issues as a church family. So we want to make sure that we, we talk about money often and, and we have these sort of conversations. And the second piece of that, not only is it necessary for a family, but it's ne a necessary part of all of our discipleship. Um, th there's nothing that cuts quicker to the heart of our idolatry than, than when we take a look at our finances. Our finances show us what we really care about in life, right? And so this is a huge, huge discipleship issue for us. So I just want, I want us to grow accustomed to having these conversations Okay, now this is what I've said from day one as it relates to, to money and, and how we talk about money, is we are not after anyone's money. Now I've said this from day one. My, my job as a pastor is not to reach inside of anyone's pocketbook, right? Here's what my job is as a pastor, is to get behind God and preach toward your heart. And so what I'm after at the end of the day is not your checkbook, but I'm after your heart. 
And so I want to preach, teach, plead for God to start getting the gospel underneath our finances, right? And so when you think about money, money is one of the cultural idols, you know, that we have. It just permeates everything for us. It's an idolatry thing issue for us, and for most of us, we don't even know it. It's just so extensive and pervasive. It's so everywhere. And it, and it, it whispers. Remember we talked about idolatry the other day where, where it whispers these seductive promises, and on the other side, it gives these solemn warnings, See, money is one of those things that it, 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 the seductive promise goes like this. If you will sell your soul to make me and to have me, maybe it's something I can buy, you can buy with me, then, then you will have all the security and satisfaction that you need. It poses as a good savior for you. But here's the problem. It's a feeble savior. It's not a good savior at the end of the day. And on the other side, it gives these solemn warnings. If you don't have me, you don't have the security that you want. You don't have the life that you want. You don't have anything that you want. And here's what I continually want to try to hold out in front of you is that God is a better savior. He offers better promises and he's bigger than all the warnings that money could give, right? So I, I want to keep just throwing that in front of you that our goal for you is, is not to get your money, but for you to be free from the love of money. That's the issue that we want the gospel to work underneath all of our greed so that we will be freed up to give to the mission of God. Okay, so that's the issue. I want you to know my heart in that. That's my care for our people. That's my concern for you, for me, is that we would preach and teach and God would be gracious to, to plant the gospel deeply enough in us that we would be free from the love of a cultural idol. Okay, so I want you to know that's my, that's my heart in this discussion as we talk about money. Anytime we ever talk about money as a church, that's my heart in it. Okay, now with that said, here's the second one. I want to try to update you on the financial just situation that we're in and the condition that we're in. Um, okay, so with that, um, I, I, want, I want this to be an encouraging piece for you as well because here's what I've been able to see as on a 30,000 foot level taking a look back over 18 months in the life of Stonegate is I've got to see God be so gracious to us to meet every financial need that we've had. So I just want you to hear that from me, that God has been so good to us. But I mean, church plants don't find themselves in situations like we do 18 months in. It's a very, very seldom thing. And so with that, I want to give you two examples of how some of these just in the past have played out for us. Um, when, when we first started Stonegate, it was, uh, we met with a crew of people at the beginning of May of 2009. And we started in August. So we had roughly about 90, less than 90 days from the first time we ever met with our people that we were going to start with about 15 families to us pushing go. Okay, now the first time we really got things going and could figure out this is what we need to start with, here's what we knew. Um, Walnut Ridge was covering my salary for one year and they were going to give us $20,000 of startup cost. But we knew we still had between fifty dollars and $60,000 for us to open the doors, for us to have preschool stuff, for us to have a sound system, for us just to have the basic things for us to open up the doors to, to invite people in, to do, to do the whole thing on Sunday morning. And so we had essentially 45 days from that period of us realizing what we needed. And this is with 15 families. 45 days from that period, about $60,000, to when we had to be, be able to push go on all of our purchases. And I'll never forget just God doing just these crazy things. I had a guy not connected to Stonegate walk up to me and shake my hand and something stuck in my hand. A $10,000 check stuck in my hand, right? I mean, that, that just doesn't happen. I, um, a couple of days later, I had a check show up in my mailbox for another $10,000. And we looked up and 45 days later, not only did we have everything we needed to start with, but we had actually a savings account going. 
right? It was a brilliant thing. It was awesome. Yeah. Okay, then, okay, now, and that was, that was God doing miraculous things, and that was sacrificial giving on behalf of some families that wanted to start Stonegate with us. Okay, now, from there, last summer, we spent um, June, July, and August, and I just got up on a Sunday morning and said this. We know at some point we're going to have to move out of the conference center. We know that's coming for us. And so as uh, one of the ways we want to prepare for that, we would love over the summer in a down economy, in a summer where typically churches, you're just in survival mode, right? Um, we want to try to raise $100,000 over these three months. So we'd encourage you to get in front of your money. And we're not asking you, we're not after your money. Here's what we're after. We want you to sit in front of your money and ask this question. If I really believe the gospel satisfies me, if I really believed in the gospel, all of its promises, over all these promises uh, that money offers, if I really believe the gospel, what would my heart do with what God has entrusted to me? What would, what, how would I... How would I be using this stuff that God has given me? And so over those three months, we look up and in August, um, about $120,000 had come in for that. And so God has just been super gracious. It's been sacrificial giving and frugal, frugal spending on behalf of Stonegate. Um, You won't find a church of 450 that pays two people and one part-time person. You won't find that. And so it has been us trying to be very frugal, God being very gracious, and you, our people, being very, very sacrificial. So I want to encourage you with that, um, one, for you just to see ways that God has provided for us. It's been amazing to watch that. And on the other side, to encourage some of you that, that, that you, you need to jump in the sacrificial giving ranks with us to encourage you on that side. And listen, that's a gospel issue. This is not, that's not me trying to guilt you. It's me trying to say this, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that God, Jesus, he, he, he was rich. He made himself poor so that you who were poor are rich. Not because you have a big bank account, but because you have Jesus. And for us to really believe that, right? And when we really do believe that, it frees us up to not think we have to go get another thing, but it frees us up to start giving at that point. So, so that's the motivation. The gospel is the motive. Guilt is not a motive. Um, me kind of pressing on the will is not a motive. The, the motive is the gospel. When we start to learn and, and really um, get the gospel deep in our heart, that's when we become generous and good givers. And so I want to encourage you on that, both of those two ways. One, for you to see how God has met all of our needs. And secondly, um, that you would join the ranks of those who have been very sacrificial. Okay, now with that said, next thing. Um, next thing is, oh, okay, well, financial condition. I haven't given you that yet. Um, financial condition is this. Over 17 months, we um, have in our bank account a little over $400,000. So that's where we are right now, 17 months. That, that was at the end of January. I'm giving you end of January numbers right there. So a little over $400,000. So God has been very gracious in, in giving us that as we start to move on what, what the next step would be. Okay, now next question goes like this. Uh, let me find it here. Next question. Where are you? There you are. Okay. Uh, next question is budget for 2011. I want you to see just a picture of us. And I, I want you to see um, frugalness from your church. I want you to see that. And so he, here's what we're projecting or what we propose for our budget to our external board that kind of is functioning as our elders and what they approved is a $365,000 budget for 2011. And we expect our receipts to be somewhere in the five seventy-five dollars to maybe even $600,000 range somewhere in there. So I want you to see that, that we're trying to be as frugal as possible, knowing that, that we've got to make a move at some point out of the conference center. That it's not an option for us to stay here forever. 
So like what you're seeing there is, is a season that we know that we have to save, that we know that we have to be very, very diligent in doing that. Okay, now with that, I want to address this issue just really quickly. The whole kind of idea of, okay, are we saving in like a selfish way? Like are we saving and not supporting the mission of God? Like how do those two things play out together? Okay, so I want to just address this this way. Number one, let me just address the hypothetical question that I'm asking. Are we, not sa- are we not supporting the mission of God in an effort to try to save for ourselves? I would say no to that. That it's not, a, it's not an either or question, it's a both and question. That we want to do both of those things. It's not an option for us not to be a part of what God is doing outside of Stonegate. So we're always going to have church plants that we're supporting. Right now we've got a church plant over in Fort Worth that we are financially giving a lot to. We've got a pastor in India that's got a church planting movement going that we're, we're committing financially to. Over the next month, we're about to bring another church planter on that we're going to be committed financially to. Um, over the next year, we're probably going to bring two more on. One that would be really close enough to us, that, and I believe in enough that we would be really, really behind financially. And so that is not an option for us. It's not like we're doing this at the expense of something else. We want both of those things together. So that's hypothetical question. Now let me try to address that question from a bigger, kind of a 30,000 foot level. So you know our heart and how we view our money. That we don't separate, like I don't even like to think about our budget in terms of this is missions dollars and this is not missions dollar. If it's not missions dollar for us, it doesn't get spent for us. So I want you to hear kind of that rationale, that if, if staff for us doesn't facilitate and move the mission forward, we don't hire staff. If a, a ministry expense doesn't, if it doesn't contribute to moving the mission forward, we don't spend it on a ministry thing. So if it's not directly tied to mission, if we can't look at that and see step A, B, C, this is the expense, this is mission, how it connects, it doesn't get spent. So there's no like, this is missions money and this is something else. It's all mission money. All of it's mission money, right? Okay, so I want you to see big picture wise, if it's not tied to mission, it's not spent at Stonegate. Okay, next question. Um, Okay, now the last two are probably the biggest ones um, that could, like I think these are gonna press on where differences of opinion across the room like this could exist. Okay, so here's the last two. Number uh, five is generally like what is our view of buildings? And I think this is a, is a really, really important question for us to answer. And as a church, have a general philosophy of where we are on this. And by the way, any of these last two questions, if you want to grab coffee on them, whatever, we can definitely do that, okay? So general view of buildings. Let me, let me start with this one. And let me, let me start with three general statements real quick on buildings. And that I think might, might help just kind of frame the, the whole discussion for us. Number one is that every adequate rental facility in Midlothian has a time frame attached to it. Every adequate one in Midlothian does. And so the, the conference center is not going to allow the conference center to be Stonegate Church forever. It's not going to allow us to meet here on Sunday mornings forever. They've got a time frame. The school is really the only other adequate option. They've got a time frame. And so at some point, Regardless of how we feel about buildings, at some point, we're going to have to do something or disband. That's probably not a good option for us, right? And so we're going to have to have some sort of an ability to gather on Sunday mornings, okay? So just to, to frame it that way first is that we don't have any other options. At some point, there's got to be a leap made towards something. Okay, um, second thing, and this is going to be, okay, that was for this side of the room. 
on this side of the room, I, I want to say this to, to the other side, is that, well, let me, let me just read my statement here. So I, buildings, buildings always bring danger with it. And here's the primary danger, that with a building, we can start looking at it as the gospel and in place of the gospel. That's the danger. So I want both sides to hear that. For the side that is like, oh, I hate buildings. We don't have any other options at some point. And for the side that like looks at buildings as like it's going to be our savior and solve all of our problems, I want this side to hear it is not a good savior for us. It's going to solve some problems for us, but it's going to create other problems for us, right? And so it, it never makes a good savior, Okay? It's not going to be our best missionary. Like, none of those issues on that side either. Okay, now here's the third statement. And this will kind of help move the discussion along here. Is that buildings showcase a church's philosophy of ministry. Okay? So the, the type of building that we eventually land in will showcase, if we build it, it will showcase what we think about church and how we think we're going to accomplish the mission of God with our church. Okay, so when you think about the New Testament, it gives plenty of, of theology on what the church is and what the church is to be about. Here's what the New Testament doesn't say a lot of, how the church is to go about doing what the church is supposed to be about. And it's a good thing. This is why the church in the first century can look different than a church in the 21st century, because cultures are different. And the way you would go about getting the gospel out in the 21st century is different. And this is why a church in Africa can be different than a church in an American suburb. Because how the church is going to get out in Africa and accomplish the mission is going to look different in that culture as it is in an American suburb. Does that make sense? So, so the, the Bible gives us great theology of a church, but it leaves the practical philosophy of the church to the local body to express this is how we're going to go about accomplishing the mission. And listen, when, when we talk about this, I, I do not want you to hear this. This is the only way to do it. I don't believe that. I think that, that that's up to that pastor and that, that group of people to stand before God with how they chose to go about trying to accomplish the mission. So my, my heart is not, this is the only way to do it, but this is just our way. This is on, on this local body. This is, this is where we fall on these issues. Okay, so with that, let me kind of tie this into buildings and philosophy. Okay, now up on the screen, I want to show you this first picture. If you would picture the mission of God at Stonegate as a boat, right? And so, and, and so this is the mission, and we're trying, to, and here's the goal. We're trying to get maximum movement on, in the boat. We're trying to get maximum movement from each breath that God blows into the sail. Okay, you see what I'm trying to kind of throw out here? That we're a boat on the mission of God, and our job, we can't move the mission of God forward. It takes God blowing into us to move the mission forward. It's ultimately his mission, right? And so it's, it's him blowing in, catching the cell, and then we move forward. Now, here's what I feel like as, as a church, here's what our philosophy of ministry is, is, de is developing a boat that will get maximum movement from every breath of God. So in our culture, in this people in place, how do we get maximum movement in our boat with each breath? Okay, so let me just describe this for you. So we would say this first. Next slide. Missional living is our sail, right? It is the thing that God breathes into, and it's the thing that moves the boat forward. It is where the power is given. So the sail is missional living. Let me say this again. If we want to reach people in Midlothian, Sunday morning is not the primary way we do that. It is you living on the mission of God 24-7. That's how that's done. 
Now, you can leverage Sunday morning. You can do all that. But your primary way that we're saying we're going to reach people is through you. You are plan A. We've got no plan B. Okay? You're it. Right? So, so missional living is the thing. Okay. Now, here would be kind of the whole. If you think of the whole. Okay, so the cell is what takes the breath of God and blows it forward. And by the way, I didn't put a rudder on there. I probably should have. A rudder kind of steering the ship would be the Bible. Like it's our theology that says this is the direction the boat's pointed, right? Okay, so uh, the hole. The hole is what cuts through the, the water, right? So you want a hole that doesn't have friction on it, that takes the wind that God blows in, missional living, and that allows that mission to move forward. I think about a boat. You could, you could survive and a boat could even move forward if a plank of the hole is like stuck out at a 90 degree angle. You could still move forward. It's just going to create a ton of drag, right? Okay, so this is the picture with a lot of the management things that a church has to think through. So think of staffing. See, you could, you could still move the mission of God forward with a terrible pastor, right? You could do that. It just is a drag to do that, isn't it? Right? Okay, so it's not that it's impossible, but it just creates drag when, when you don't have good staffing, right? If, if your ministry leaders aren't, aren't on point with you, it, it just creates drag. Okay, think of like your finances. You can really be a mess financially and the mission move forward. It just creates drag, right? Think about volunteers. We could move the mission forward here with terrible volunteers, preschool half-staffed. We could do all that, but it creates a ton of drag to do that, right? Okay, and so buildings and land and location— those fit into those same categories of, of things that they're not central to the mission. They're not, we don't depend on a building to attract people for us. A building is not a missionary for us. We're the missionaries. Buildings, land, staffing, all of these things are tools to move that mission forward. And our job is to create a whole that is that, that creates the, the least amount of friction so that every breath God blows into our missional living, that boat gets maximum movement. Does that make sense? Okay, so with that, let me kind of get to the next slide here. When people view buildings, here's the, the pendulum they're on. You've got the extreme side over here. Here's extreme side. We're going to put in there a rock climbing wall. We're going to have a full-scale restaurant. We're going to have a workout gym. We're going to have everything in there. We're going to have animatronics for the kids, so Barney's teaching the lesson for them. We might even hire a bear on a tricycle. It's kind of my favorite line out there in the foyer. Okay, this is extreme side. And listen, I'm really not dogging them. I'm just kind of mocking a little bit, right? I'm not dogging, right? So I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's evil. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying the only way to do it is our way. I'm just saying that's not our way. So we would fall over on the economical side. Where here's, when we think buildings, buildings are, I want to say this again to you, is not, buildings are not our missionary. You are our missionaries. Buildings are not our savior. Jesus is our savior, right? Okay, so, so with that in play, think economical. We want a building that is, is good, that, I mean, that, that allows and facilitates the mission to move forward. So we don't want like a piece of junk that you can't get into that's got no parking, got no preschool, got no anything. We want it to be good that facilitates the mission. But listen, we're never going to put in a rock climbing wall. We're probably, well, we're not going to put in a full-scale restaurant. I would rather you go eat at Camposanos with lost people and people that don't know Jesus as opposed to the people in our church, in our church building. That makes sense? So, okay, now, and even think in terms of this. If you do traditional church like Sunday school, as opposed to home groups, 
See, if, if we did traditional Sunday school, we would have to build about a time and a half more than we would with just our, just our flow of ministry. That we don't have to build adult space. We don't have to build youth space. Youth can meet in our sanctuary. So it just cuts out these massive parts of a building, kind of a thing that a traditional church has to do that we don't, we'll never have to do those, those things. Okay, so we're on that economical side. Our question is, what is functional to, to, to facilitate mission? And that's what we want to have. Nothing more than that. We, like, we're not looking to build... I'm not even going to say it. We're not... I mean, we're, we're, we're functional. Like, I just had like a roll of churches like... Okay. And this is, this, is, this is the last issue that I want to address with us, and then we'll try to give some time for Q&A here. Okay. Um, last issue is debt. I want to, I want to address this, and uh, yeah. Okay, now I know that for a lot of us in the room, this is going to be one of those points tonight that, that could be, well, well, we'll just see how it goes, right? <laughs> and so, um, let, let me start out by saying this. Number one. We are a no-debt, low-debt church. Okay, now let me just start there. So here's what that means, that we take the warnings in Scripture seriously. Proverbs 22, that borrower servant to the, to the— We take those things seriously. They're in there for a reason. Romans 13, right? That, that we take these things seriously, and we haven't had a chance yet to really preach on money because we just haven't come up to a passage yet that really throws us into the middle of it. But you're going to hear this come out that uh, when, when we start talking through and when we come to passages that, that get to that money issue, you're going to hear this come out in full force that many of us in this room right now are in debt that is unhealthy, unbiblical, that is not good for you, your family, or anybody else. That some of us need to cut up our credit cards. I, we, we've got a culture that is permeated with debt. We've got a culture that goes consumer debt crazy. Credit card crazy, right? That, I mean, we're, we're financing a new wardrobe, right? We're financing small purchases that if you can't pay cash for them, you shouldn't have them. And so let me just throw this out there. And this is just me, your pastor, talking to you. Some of us need to hear this. You need to get out of debt. It's not a good debt that you're in. It's a destructive debt that you're in, right? So you just need to get really, really, really aggressive and doing whatever it takes to get out of debt. And some of you, some of us are not good with our finances. I know that. Some of us does not have parents that raise us up to really train us in just how to think about those things. And that is okay. But it's not okay if you stay there. So let us know. We'll get you paired up with good people that will love on you, help set a structure around you that will be great for you. So don't stay there. Okay, So, so hear that first. This is first thing I want you to hear from us. No debt, low debt. This is where I live. This is not something I, and I I hesitated to say this because I don't want you to to feel like this is me boasting. This is grace from God, but I want you to know this is where I live. Other than our house, we've never been on the hook for any debt. So this is where I'm living in the middle of this. This isn't just something I'm trying to tell you to do, right? If, If you can't afford these things, we probably need to cut the credit card and wait, right? Okay, so no debt, low debt, that's where we are. Okay, now let me take it to the next level, and this is the one that I think could start to press on some of us. Is I don't believe the Bible prohibits all forms of debt. Okay, so with that, and I wish we had time to go through all the relevant biblical passages 
um, on this. At some point here soon, I would like to publish uh, just a position paper that will kind of walk through the, the primary biblical passages on it and, and why I'm making that statement. Let me just hit two of them just really quickly. Number one, I take a Romans 13. This is one of them that I think a lot of people, will, or, yeah, Romans 13, that a lot of people will go to. And it's going to say in verse eight, basically, oh, no, nothing to anyone. Okay, just to summarize it there. If you rip that verse out of its context, what you're going to see is absolutely all forms of debt are prohibited. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying in Romans 13, verse 8. If you put that with verse 7, you're going to see that he just told people to pay their taxes, pay, pay, their, pay their stuff up here, the revenues, and, and make sure they pay, like they, they, they pay their respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So I, he's telling people to pay these things. And it's not just like taxes and financial debt that he's talking about. It's also things like honor and respect that he's talking about. And so when he comes down to verse 8 and says, oh, nothing to anyone, I just don't think you can say that it means all forms of debt are prohibited. If he means, oh, oh, nothing to anyone, he would also mean that you owe no honor to anyone and no respect to anyone in verse 7. Okay, so that, that's a little technical, so you can read it, but I'm just saying this. I don't think it's saying that, that all forms of debt are prohibited. Another one is going to be, um, and by the way, if, you, like, if you're an all forms of debt are prohibited person, it makes it really hard to read how the Bible would say, um, like how it would give instructions to lending that it does. Like I have a little list of, of, of a passage that it gives instructions on lending. And so it would, it would cut right across the grain of that of how do you lend properly if that makes you a sinner by, by lending. Okay, so, so that's Romans 8. And then let me give like the, the Proverbs 22 thing. The Proverbs 22, Proverbs is general wisdom. It's not making absolute statements. So as a, for instance, train up a child in the way he should go and he won't depart from it. That's a general wisdom, not an absolute statement. Some of you have done great jobs of raising kids up and it didn't turn out that way. So he's giving, a, this is generally how things work, right? This is, what, this is what can happen, right? Okay, so take debt on, on this side of it, on the borrower being servant to the lender. I think he's making a general statement that this is, what, first of all, I think what he has in mind there is the rich exploiting the poor. And secondly, I think he's, he's trying to show you this is what may happen. It's not what has to happen, but this is what may happen, right? If you, if you get excessive, if you, if you get yourself in a bad, this is what can happen to you. Okay, so with that said, it's not an absolute statement. It's a general warning that he's giving there. Okay. Um, third little thing underneath debt. So, okay, the second statement is, I don't think it's prohibiting all forms of debt. Okay, third statement. Is the question, okay, now assuming that, question number two, which you may or may not be with me on that yet, I don't know. We can have coffee over that if you want to kind of dig into the, the technicalities of all that. Um, number three is that, okay, assuming number two, if, if that's permissible, if that's not the primary question, then the question becomes what is wise, strategic, and God-honoring debt? Okay, now I think of debt generally in two categories. It's going to be a little bit of an oversimplification, but there is some things that are just plain and simple destructive debt. You go into debt to buy a new wardrobe, it's destructive. I don't care how you want to slice it, Right? Okay, so there are some things that are destructive. You go into debt on these things. It's just not good. In general terms, if you're going into debt on things that depreciate, it's probably in the category of destructive debt, right? And so that, that's this category over here, destructive. And let me just plead with you. Live within your means. Stay there. Live within your means. 
There's more to say on that, but that's a good starting point for that. Okay, so that's destructive debt. Okay, now here's the other side, though. I think there can be decent debt. And decent debt is, in general terms, things that you're, one, it's wise and it's strategic. I think that's a key statement. And this is where another generality in Proverbs comes in handy. That you have the idea of plans typically go well when you surround those with good people speaking into that. So it's, it's wise and strategic planning. Those, those two things are, are key. They generally, and they're generally directed at things that appreciate, not depreciate in value. And they contribute to the mission of God. Okay, that would kind of be my decent debt category. It's a wise move. It's strategic, long-term thinking move. And on the other side, it's, appreci- like it's, a, it's an asset that appreciates and it contributes to the mission of God. Okay, so with that said, I think this is the category of if you're trying to, to counsel a young couple that they're making, a, they have a decent job, making decent money, and they're living in an apartment. So should they live in an apartment for 20 years until they can save whatever, or should they jump into a house and build equity along the way? I would say that that is in the category of decent debt. Like that, that's sort of an issue. Okay, I would say another one, maybe if you're a business and you're a retail business and you need a storefront, that could be decent debt. Not just categories there. Okay, now for a church, I think buildings and those sort of things fall under that category of what could be decent debt, right? It, it falls under this sort of an umbrella. Not all, like you can go too far into even good things right? You can buy too much house. That makes it destructive, okay? We could buy too much. That would make it destructive. We could get too much church. Destructive, right? And so it's in that category of why strategic, that, that whole piece of it playing out. Okay, now with that, let me, let me kind of camp on this one for just a second. Number four, we want to be wise and strategic in our planning for this. Okay, so I want you to hear that. We, we want to be wise and strategic. Let me explain what wise and strategic means for us. One is we want to pay cash for everything that is at all possible to pay cash for. If it's, if it's in the realm of possibility, that, that is plan A for us. We want to be cash payers. Okay, that, that is plan A wise. The strategic side of things. I, here's the problem with, with this for us. And just so you're clued into our situation here. In 2013, the conference center can kick us out. And I would say at best, and I don't know this yet, at best they might give us another six months a year, maybe that, I don't know. So we're having to reverse engineer strategic thinking from 2013 August back to where we are now. And we're trying to ask this question, how do we plan now for getting kicked out then? How do we, what do we need to do now to make, to to make sure we're on track for this? And so part of what we're trying to do now is, is purchase land. Okay, now let me kind of back up and give you one other scenario and why this strategic, I want you just to, to see that strategic side of it. Is here would be another option for us. It, it wasn't, we pursued it for a while as an option, but it turned out to be not an option. The, the David's grocery store, the, the, it's 25,000 square foot building. It would actually work pretty well for us. Um, it's four guys in New York City that absolutely do not want to rent it out to a church. So they've shut the door on it. But this is what they're asking. This would be really the only legitimate rental place in Midlothian is they're asking a little more than $20,000 a month for it. And it would probably be a three quarter to a million dollar renovation for us. And at the end of the day, we're going to walk away from that with nothing. So I mean, so this is where the issue for us falls is we want to be strategic in that. I think there is a God honoring way to navigate this that doesn't kill us, but is the way of wisdom. 
in the middle of this. That strategic, wise, thinking long-term down the road as we consider what our best option is. Okay, so wise for us means that we're reverse engineering from 2013, looking back, and it means paying cash for as much as we possibly can. Okay, now with that said, uh, that means 2011, one of our reverse engineering steps is to locate, find, and, and push go on a piece of property for our church. Um, that's one of the steps that we want to take. Um, so with that, let me give you this last point, and then we'll do some questions. How do we make decisions here? We want to, I want you to hear this from me. This decision has to be in community. This is not me or any one, two, three people making a decision. This is a community that's made in decisions so or in community. So I want you to see kind of the, the play out of how this works at Stonegate. Number one is that uh, we've got a crew of men that really from day one has been a part of um, this, this thing of, of finding land, of helping us work through what we can afford, how we're going to pay for this, that piece of it. So I, I want you to see who this group of people, uh, who these guys are. Number one, Adam Fuhr, Mike Glass, David Hansen. Marion is just now coming on. For those of you who know Marion, um, he's going to join us with that. Sean Jackson, Brian McCutcheon, Chad Parsons, and Bill Stewart. Okay, if you're in the room and that's one of you, why don't you stand up real quick just so people can see your face. Okay, so that's, that's the crew that's, that's in here right now that's in the room. Okay, so these people are people that if you know them, I think you would say this about them. I want them around that table. And it's people for me that I look at. Listen, I'm a pastor. God didn't call me to be an expert businessman. He didn't call me to do that. And so it, one of my roles is to say this. I want to make sure it's connected to our vision. If it's not, I don't want anything to do with it. If it's not about gospel expansion, if we can't, if we can't connect that to gospel expansion, we're, we're out on it. But I'm, I'm really trusting these guys to make the, the smart business calls for us. I mean, I, I am not your CEO. I'm your pastor. Okay, I want you to know that. But I want around our table people who have adequate skills for that, who are gifted in those ways, who, who this is how they think. I want those people around us helping our church make that plan. Okay, so with that, um, here's the next thing. Um, and by the way, you might ask this question. Do we have like a piece that like we are like about to present to you tonight? The answer is no to that. We don't. So we're still locating and, and doing all that. As soon as we find something that we've got presentable information on, then the next step would be this, that we will present that um, for, for you to be praying hard, hard over. We want this just bathed and saturated and permeated in prayer from our people because we want to walk this way of wisdom. Like we, we want that wise path to be our church. We don't want to fall off the cliff over here or over there. Okay, so we'll present that. Um, when we have options, we'll get that out to you ASAP. Third is we'll uh, present that for approval, revision, or rejection to our external board that's really functioning as our elders until we have our own here. So we'll present that to them. And they have got plenty of, it, they, they know they have the right that if they want to, they can look at that and say, I do not think that's a good move. And if they don't think that, then we'll go back and we'll retool and figure what, what God would have for us if that's not the case, right? Okay, so that would be step C. And then step D is, the, and this is really what it's going to require from all of us at the end of the day, is at the end of the day, it's going to require faith in all of us to move as God leads. And so we, we want to be sensitive to the Spirit in the middle of that, knowing that these are hard decisions. It requires a lot of wisdom in all that. And so uh, at the end of the day, here's, here's what I'm praying for us in the middle of this journey, 
is that God would use these moments to stir great faith in us. My, my hope for us is not ultimately in a building. It's not that we'll have our own piece of whatever. It's that God would stir great faith in our people. Okay, so that, that's my heart for it. Okay, so with that said, let me push stop, and we'll do just a couple of minutes of Q&A. And Kevin's got a mic. We're, we're trying to record this so we can get this to people who weren't here if they need it. And so um, we've got a mic over there. And Brian maybe can handle this other side of the room if you've got a question on that side too. Okay, so any, any questions with, with all that? That was a lot of information. Um, I, like, I think it pressed on probably some nerves and probably some of the people in here. And by the way, if you've got questions that would be like suitable over coffee, feel free. Call me. We can kind of work through that. Um, I'd love to do that with you. Okay, so any, any questions? Yes, sir. Is David's on the table for purchase? We tried that too. And, and, and by the way, it's still on the table. There are some scenarios that, would, that could be feasible for that. Um, so depending on what sort of a deal that we could make. And so we've left all that on the table. And so David Hansen has been the one that has just been doing that with these people. It's four Jewish guys in New York City. And for some reason, they are like bent on churches will destroy that shopping center. And so uh, I, I would say it probably, and I don't want to put words in David's mouth. Why don't you t- answer that question, David? I think Rodney said it best uh, for New York guys, and they have no interest in us being in there as a church. That said, however, with prayer, with a solid heart towards that, it could still happen. Uh, we have approached them on every single thing, buying the property, leasing the property, uh, doing all the renovations, everything, where they would basically have to come up with no money. At this point in time, they have said they believe the economy is going to turn around in the next couple of years. They do not want a church in there because they believe that is the kiss of death for a retail center. Uh, and we have not put that away. We're still talking to them, still have great faith that could happen. Uh, but it would really require everybody in this church really bearing down and praying for that to happen at this yeah. point in time. And there are a couple of options that could make that feasible. I mean, it would have to be a, a lot better deal than where they're starting. Um, but yeah, so it's definitely on the table for purchase, all that. Like there's some things that I like, it kind of excite me about something along those lines. And so I've had a couple of friends that that has worked out actually well for them to kind of take a, a move in that direction. And so, yeah. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Um, who exactly are our elders? Yeah, and so as far as locally, and if you've been through the membership thing, you, you, I, I think most of y'all probably heard this. But let me repeat this just so you'll have this clear. We're on a, probably a three-year, three was kind of that mark was our goal to have our own elders established. So in the midst of that, my goal was not to be a king of this place. I just want you to hear that. That's, I don't want to be that. I always want to ha- be submitted to somebody for this place. And so in, in an attempt to not be king here, um, we set up three people, that, uh, two, a, a pastor, two pastors and another church planter type of a guy that are functioning kind of as our external board of elders that can veto. They can, at the end of the day, they're looking at our place and saying, we want to serve you until you get elders and uh, we want to help you not kill yourself in that process. So you can have those people. So um, one of them is Bill Leverage, who preached for us this last summer. One is Rick White, who preached for us in November from City View, if you were here for that, in November. And one of them, his name is Drew Pearson. Not like the Dallas Cowboy Drew Pearson, but yeah. (laughs) Okay, any others? No questions? Sure. Going once. (laughs) going twice. Okay. 
with that said, I'd like to end just by us praying for a few minutes. And so, uh, yeah. Why don't we do that together? Now, I'm going to kind of just lead you through a couple of different things, maybe to pray over your own heart in the midst of this. And, and here's the first one, is that as we talk about money as a church, that, um, that you would always be faithful to ask gospel questions about your heart. And so I, I just want you to pray for yourself that the seductive promises and the solemn warnings that money whispers to you, that you would always see God as better than those promises and bigger than those warnings. And maybe you could just ask God that, that he would expose where some of the tentacles of greed have, have really just kind of formed around your heart. And I want to encourage you to pray for our church in the midst of this. Um, when you make big moves as a church, um, it, it really has a tendency to always fracture. So there's always a risk of unity when you make big moves in a church. And we know that we've got big, you know, big moves that, that are looming on the horizon for us. And so pray that God would be gracious in protecting us as a church family. For those men who are helping lead out and um, locating property and doing all that for us, that God would give them great wisdom. I mean, at the end of the day, we would love to be able to tell the story in... 10 years of how God gave us a building. Of how, I mean, we were able to do everything cash. We, you know, we would love to have stories to tell of, of just a situation that we, I mean, just humanly impossible. I want you to just spend a couple minutes praying for those uh, seven, eight guys that are helping lead out in that. For good wisdom for them and that God would give them the ideas and that God would give them the uh, direction and that God would protect us through, through those men. God, I pray, um, I pray for our church. Um, God, when it comes to that next step out of, out of this place, I, uh, I, I just feel so dependent upon you doing miraculous things around us. And so God, I pray that as we look back over this season of our church's life, as we pray hard in faith for what you're gonna do in and around this group of people, God, I pray that we would get to, to share stories of your provision and your great grace over us. And God, we, we want to tell you on the front end that, that we will humbly reflect all of the glory to you. Um, God, we know that it is not by our strength or our might or our business savvy that these things happen, but it is by your grace. And so God, I pray for our church in the midst of this, that, that we would never be a church that is focused on a building, that, that we would always be be aware of that tendency to trust a building to be a missionary, to, to be, for a building to be a savior for our place. And it's not that. 
You are a good and gracious Savior for us, and we need nothing else. So God, I pray that we would always have that in view. God, that that in the gospel you have made us family, you have made us missionaries. So God, help us live on the mission. God, help us do that. God, I pray that that we as a church would all covenant together, that we would always be good risk takers for the mission, that we would always um, encourage and spur on um, one another to, to be involved in the mission. So God, I pray for that. God, help us in that. We need your help for those things to happen. God, help us keep you central. Help nothing else to creep in. By your grace, may we always um, be, be good fighters for what's central to Stonegate. You, the gospel. So, so help us in that. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Hey, two things. Number one, uh, this is just quick housekeeping. One of the things that, that is difficult the larger you get is to stay friendly. And so um, th- this is one of the things I want you to help us with every Sunday morning. It's called the three-minute rule. Three-minute rule goes like this. For the first three minutes when we finish a service, here's what your natural tendency is to do. To go find like the four faces that you know and to like cling to those four people that you know or five people or ten people just to to make your rounds with people that you know. So make a covenant with us to make sure that for those first three minutes you do not talk to people you know but you go on like a hunt for people that you don't know. Every week we have anywhere between eight and twelve people fill out first-time visitor cards. So that means sitting around you are a lot of first-time people to Stonegate that know absolutely no one here. And so make sure you're getting to know people, that three-minute rule, that you're helping us stay friendly. That's a communal effort to to make all that happen. Um, And the second thing, I just totally blew. Um, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I love you. See you Sunday. (laughs) Have a good night.